Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and we are here to talk all about this week's episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi, Part 5. And honestly, the, I I can't even talk about it. So <laughs> this is the episode. <laughs> I can't even talk about it. Anyway, here's our like hour and a half episode about it. <laughs> I just, I... <sighs> So much. I just need you all to know <laughs> that I watched this episode a full four hours before Charlotte did. <laughs> and for, for four hours, I was just sitting there. Like, With the knowledge that Hayden returns. And not like <laughs> any Hayden, but like Attack of the Clones, Padawan Braid, Encore. I didn't even wake up to like any texts from you, though, about it. Because I was like, I cannot, like, I cannot text you at all. Like, I I just, we're in, like, another group chat where people were talking about it, and I was, like, or just saying, like, oh, my God, I watched it, and I was, like, I can't, like, that's even too much, but, like, we can't even betray any emotion, and you had, like, (laughs) I think I texted you once, and I was, like, I have meetings all morning, like, when my workday started, I was in full back-to-back meetings that I, like, had to pay attention in, and I was, like, it's whatever o'clock, you haven't watched it yet, and I have to be in meetings, so we're not going to be able to talk. And you were like, sorry, such and such. And then you asked me like some questions like for the podcast. And I was like, I can't even I can't even respond to that. Like, I can't I can't even look at those. You didn't. I, didn't. So. I was like, I just need to cut her off cold turkey until she watches it because like, I can't handle it. It was so overwhelming. Like the fact that the entire episode begins with this training flashback. I can't believe we finally made it. Okay. And we had Hayden Christensen on Sky Talkers, which is like a crazy sentence, but. <laughs> and I remember when last we talked to Hayden Christensen on Sky Talkers. Honestly, it feels like a dream. It's another world. And I, I, I you know, that was so real, right? Like that was real, even though right now I'm like, that's a dream. And we were talking to him and we talked to him and I knew that he was in this and we all know he was in this. Okay. We were, we were talking to we were him. Talking to him. And it was it, it was dawning upon me that oh he's in the show. But like in the past couple episodes, it's just been Darth Vader. And you know, I, I love Darth Vader. I love Hayden Christensen as Darth Vader. And I I can't believe that we made this. That this is here. We we made this. Like I made this uh I made the show at all. I didn't that make I made the show at all. Know. I can't believe we made it though. We've been podcasting for five and a half years. <laughs> And always being like, I wonder if Hayden Christensen will come back to Star Wars. No, he's back. He's in this show. And there was two different flashbacks in this episode. One from Attack of the Clones era and then another from Revenge of the Sith era. Are you kidding me? Are you serious? This happened? <laughs> I I am like clenched. Very <laughs> like I, I still I'm like. thinking about when we interviewed Hayden Christensen. And I was sitting on pillows the whole time and literally holding myself up, least I fall down in the chair, (laughs) because Charlotte and I did not have two chairs that were at the same height. And so I had to sit on a stack of pillows, literally six pillows, (laughs) and like hold. Kaylin took one from the team. She's like, it's okay. You sit in the normal chair, Charlotte. I'll sit in the crappy low hotel chair we'll take all the pillows in the hotel and i'll just sit on it and you were like gripping the the desk like if i fall here on the camera and hayden sees me 
<laughs> you would keep like tapping me whenever he said like when he, he talked about something and like really cool you would like tap me under the table and I'm like do not push too hard I'm on the precipice <laughs> of out of this chair and that's how I felt in this whole episode <laughs> honestly same and the th- the truth is is like this felt like I'm kind of like numb to this happening so many people are, are like Charlotte your man he's back (laughs) what did you think and the the truth is like I think 100 out of 10 like amazing perfect but I am like overwhelmed you know how sometimes something that you're so excited about when it happens you're like wow it's happening and this is happening to me this is happening to all of us and it's here wow period you know that's kind of how it is (laughs) and I I just it hasn't really uh, like sunk in really I guess for me that I just, I don't know. Everything all feels like a dream. That's the the moral of the story is everything feels like a dream. I cannot believe this is real. The fact that these this clip now gets to be in fan edits ah, is like... What a joy. What, what a, a joy, life. What a joy. What a life. What a time. <laughs> what a time. <laughs> That's why they call the present the present because it's a gift. Like, this yes. is what we get. When, when we opened this episode, when we started looking out on Coruscant. I don't know what I thought was happening, but it certainly wasn't this. And then when I saw the silhouette with the braid, I completely malfunctioned. The braid and ponytail, though. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely, I don't even think I noticed the ponytail, honestly, on first watch. It was just the braid. But yeah, I just completely shut down. And I was like, no effing way. (laughs) Because... I in my whole flashback spooky Anakin dreams, I don't think I ever anticipated it to be Attack of the Clones Anakin. Me neither. Because I was like, he's so young and Revenge of the Sith, like, I don't know, that's all the foreboding and the the angst and everything like that. I mean, of course, Attack of the Clones has plenty of angst, but you guys know what I'm saying. That's it's the just like Clone Wars era. Exactly. Like, it's the transition in Revenge of the Sith, but... We're so used to that. I know. And that's just, like, so what I expected, too. I I don't know. So, yeah, I just completely dissolved into a lot of expletives, honestly, uh, when I was first watching it. (laughs) And I think it was just... I The thing is, too, is that it's such a good scene, like, the whole thing together for how the episode plays out and... Anakin and Obi-Wan and like their whole thing and the fact that this whole time we've been talking about those like weird nitpicks of people like in A New Hope about like when I we last met you were I was the apprentice whatever right and that like this whole flashback like plays directly into that but does it so perfectly and isn't fan servicey and serves the story that's being told right now and not just the one in the future like oh my god Deborah Chow just incredible (laughs) well it's just great because it's thematic right it's thematic Mm. storytelling and this isn't just a flashback for fan service sake in the beginning of this episode where we flash forward to the future of these two guys and their past right no this is a, a flashback that repeats itself throughout the entire episode from Darth Vader's point of view it's like fascinating to me that they decided to do this because the way that I had always visualized, this is why I, I'm not a Star Wars writer, right? The way I had visualized this is through 
the back to tank through Obi-Wan's dreams. This is where we're yeah. going to get all the flashback material. No, we got it from Anakin. We got it from Darth Vader. We didn't get it from Obi-Wan. We got spooky ghosts from Obi-Wan. <laughs> we didn't get the flashback from Obi-Wan. And it's used throughout to tell this story when the scene is interspliced in between all of these emotions and all of the mask acting that Hayden Christensen is doing here. It's You sort of transpose all the emotions that are going on and all the dialogue that's happening in this training flashback onto Darth Vader's own mask when you go back to it. It's just so cool and it really works super well. And Deborah Chow, thank you. <laughs> I know. We we finally we finally made it. Yeah, I kind of don't even know like where to start with the flashback. You know what I mean? It's just it feels feels so great. <laughs> Well, let's start with the fact that Anakin, the first time we see him, like you say, is his back is turned. It's a pose that we're familiar with when it comes to Anakin, right? This this like contemplative pose. Anakin is looking out over Coruscant and our mind wanders to, is he gazing out over towards Padme's apartment? And I know that this is an Attack of the Clones or pre-Attack of the Clones flashback, given the fact that Anakin doesn't have his his mechanical hand, which I think, again, is really cool that this is that time period that we're experimenting in. And the fact is, is like we, Anakin and Padme aren't married yet. They haven't seen each other in a long time, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, like our brains go to that place of what is he looking at? Is he looking out over there? Because it's a callback to Padme's ruminations, in my head at least it is. And I think that it's just interesting how basically in every single episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi, Padme is haunting every single episode from the audience's perspective. You think about all the different, like the lives that she has touched to bring us to this place really also with her two children that are being protected and the fate of the galaxy is in their hands and Obi-Wan's whole life mission is about that and how that lives underneath everything and why Anakin turned to the dark side includes her and how that secret is underneath everything. Uh, it, everything about this just really worked for me <laughs> in every possible way. On a lot of levels. On a lot of levels. <laughs> I think I was first reminded of the scene in Attack of the Clones where Anakin has the dreams about his mother um, on Naboo yes. and Padme comes out and says, well, like, obviously you should go. Um, to me, that I, that was the first thing I thought of. But yeah, and I think it's great how we see Vader in that pose a lot too. Like you said, this is not a new kind of framing for Anakin. We see it, see it quite a bit. And so to see it here, obviously, with Anakin and Vader in this, same episode like Vader having this memory of him looking outside the window and then him looking out over Coruscant in this training session that he has with Obi-Wan so I think the the first time I watched this I was kind of thinking that maybe the the memory like kind of changes to Vader and Obi-Wan's collective memory by the end of the episode but I was kind of wrong in how I was honestly how I was remembering it because I've only I've only watched this episode like two and a half times so far but there was like one part where Obi-Wan says something in the flashback and it like transitions to Obi-Wan in the present making a decision about turning himself in basically. So to me, I, when I first watched it, I was like, okay, it's kind of becoming both of their memories about how they handled this training session, this situation, and of course the metaphor that it means or the way that it's the ripple effect that's come to us now in the present with Obi-Wan and Vader. But I don't really think that anymore, but it's like Vader's memory, but Obi-Wan is using everything that he knows about Anakin that is verbalized in this memory 
of this training session in how he's creating his plan and in how he's talking about Anakin in this episode, like his rashness, his need for uh, power and for victory and his obsession with the win, not using his weapon. And I think it's really cool how Anakin Vader is kind of taking those practical things in a way from that training session of like mainly the the fighting without mercy, but then like the fighting without a weapon, like there are other ways to fight and does have victory over Reva, but not Obi-Wan actually, because Obi-Wan at the end of the day is the one who knows Anakin so well, knows his fighting style, knows his obsessiveness his and how that he can use that as a weakness because he has. And we see that play out in Obi-Wan actually getting away in the end. And we see that even after all this time, Anakin Vader is still not actually listening to what Obi-Wan is telling him in the Attack of the Clones era. Yeah, absolutely. And it just makes me wonder like how it's all going to inf- unfold in the next episode as well, because I do feel like this is going to be underscored even more. I actually wanted to propose a concept and I feel like The Last Jedi actually is very present in this episode. I felt like there was a Mm -hmm. lot of callbacks that reminded me of a lot of things in the sequel trilogy and and things like that, but specifically The Last Jedi. I was wondering, because this is a flashback, it's a memory. One of the first times we ever saw this in Star Wars was in The Last Jedi when there was like three different memories that were unfolded to us from about Luke and Ben. That was Ryan Johnson referencing Akira Kurosawa's Rashomon, which deals with all of these different memories and how people perceive them. I don't necessarily think that this memory is like strong enough to be perceived by two different like biases, I guess, but uh, because clearly Anakin remembers it as... Obi-Wan schooling him. <laughs> so I and I think that I don't know what it would look like really from Obi-Wan's own perspective, to be honest. Like if it was just purely his perspective, I really don't think it would change that much or provide the audience anything new. But I was thinking about that in terms of like what is this underscoring for Anakin here? And that is that he's always being bested by Obi-Wan no matter what. Even though I think that if I could now I've watched it a couple times now. Um I find myself feeling bad for both of them but I am sympathetic towards Anakin because I think he is a strong fighter and in this scene he is a strong fighter right well he tells at the beginning of the session Obi-Wan says something along the lines of like maybe this time I'll beat you something like that yeah like, because the truth like Anakin is the superior warrior right, the superior fighter yeah. yeah and Obi-Wan says that too he says you're a great warrior Anakin but your need to prove yourself is your undoing until you overcome it Padawan you will still be and he says it with a smile which is funny to me <laughs> but uh because of course he does it's not a mean thing that he's saying he's teaching him he's his teacher uh yeah but, but Anakin's I, response is very attacking yes. the clones Anakin of like oh. No. Broody. Yeah, broody, angsty. Yeah, and it's just a reminder of how often that conversation that Anakin and Padme have in Attack of the Clones about Anakin being saying, he says, like, he's overly critical, he doesn't listen, you know, he doesn't understand, it's not fair, right? He's holding me back. Um, yeah, he's holding me back, all that stuff. Like, that's even later, but all all these things, and he's all, I think he even says that he's jealous of me or whatever. Um, all these things that are bubbling within Anakin. I think so much Anakin just really wants to hear Obi-Wan tell him that he's proud of him, that he's a great warrior, right? And I think that's why it means so much to Anakin later in Revenge of the Sith when finally Obi-Wan says he's proud of 
Anakin, but it takes a long time. And so I was thinking about all these different conversations that we've seen these two brothers basically have and how there's so much underneath and so much history. And the fact that this specifically is still taunting him because Anakin wins the battle, but then doesn't at the very end. I assume that's exactly like that that happened in this episode, right? But I do assume that it's going to happen again in the next episode when they have the rematch of the century. What is that even going to look like? I don't know. I, uh, I, I just think that maybe we'll even look upon this conversation even differently after next episode. Yeah. I think you can really see the like you you said that line at the end that Obi-Wan says of you're a great warrior but you need to prove yourself as you're doing until you overcome it Padawan you will still be and he like smiles at Anakin in this like really loving fashion and you know pats his shoulder and walks out of the training session but you can see like to Anakin it's still very much that angsty teenager feeling of like why does he keep treating me like this why does he keep saying these things like can't he just admit that I was better that I am better than him. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's like as you're growing up and you know that feeling that your parents are right about things, but God, it's so annoying and it's unfair <laughs> and it shouldn't be like that. And I'm different, <laughs> you know, and like I'm not going to be like, whatever it is. Right. And I think you can just really see that on Anakin's face throughout this whole training session. Like anytime Obi Wan kind of comes at him about like you grow too aggressive Anakin be mindful a Jedi's goal is to defend life not take it and and when Obi-Wan starts to get the upper hand you can see it on Anakin's face of this isn't like I don't know like this is so frustrating this is so wrong why why is this playing out like this like I should be winning here this isn't how this should end (laughs) and I think he wants Obi-Wan to admit that his path his uh, strategy in the battle was correct. Uh, and it ultimately wasn't. And the thing is, Obi-Wan can't give that to Anakin because it's not the right way. But throughout this whole thing, like the trajectory that they're about to go on is Obi-Wan is going to lose sight of of how this is all really affecting Anakin as like the dominoes kind of fall into place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we should spend some time looking at each individual quote that I've transcribed basically from Obi-Wan to Anakin and Anakin's quotes back because I think they're packed with some double meanings or just pure on meanings because there's not a lot of dialogue that happens here and I think it is all very important. I think Obi-Wan saying a Jedi's goal is to defend life, not take it is so pointed, right? Obviously from the fact that Anakin turns to the dark side later and takes many lives. In fact, taking life is what drives Riva later, we'll get to that, to her own revenge quest. This this line, a Jedi's goal is to defend life, not take it, really reminded me of the High Republic. Uh, me too. They talk about that a lot in the High Republic uh, in various books and how the act of taking a life does or doesn't affect certain characters. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking about that too. Actually, I think there was another line that really got me thinking about the High Republic, and that was when Obi-Wan was reading the scribe on the wall Yeah, that says, the light will fade, but it is never forgotten feels so high republic to me. Yeah. <laughs> if and I I really like that just in general because it was literally written in a cave. It feels very symbolic, I guess, of the memories of the past and 
the fight for hope and the fight for goodness. Also moving on to the next quote that Anakin says in response to you grow aggressive Anakin's Jedi's goal is to defend life, not take it. Anakin says, mercy doesn't defeat an enemy master, which is why you're going to lose. I love the line mercy doesn't defeat an enemy master because it is so interesting that Anakin would say that because that ultimately is what happens Mercy does defeat the enemy (laughs) in Return of the Jedi at the very end of Anakin's life. And it's like why he is brought back. I I feel like I'm such a broken record sometimes when I bring up Luke and Anakin in Return of the Jedi and Luke's sacrifice and how meaningful it is. But it's always referenced, I feel like. And we should always remember that that's what we're leading to. And it's so interesting that Anakin is so blinded by that concept of mercy doesn't defeat an enemy when his son literally uses mercy to defeat his enemy and also save his father. It's great. It's, yeah, it's pretty good. It's, it's so good. <laughs> so good. And the whole concept of your need for victory, it blinds you. That, again, is what why Anakin is in the suit. He he tried the whole leap situation on Mustafar. He didn't give up. He didn't stop. Obi-Wan was ready to say... It's over, Anakin. I have the high ground. Like, what's next? I always wonder, what would have been next? I don't know. Because Anakin could have, like, not come onto that lava bank, right? He could have just... Gone away. Yeah, he could have just gone away. And then what would have happened? I, I think about that a lot. Because Obi-Wan, they're separated at that point, right? They're not really yeah. fighting. They're talking. But again, Anakin's need for victory, it did blind him. And that's why he's in the situation he's in now. And that comes around again later with these two transports when they're in the secret hidden transport and he fully takes apart that other transport on Jabim, right? Like that's the reason he is uh, overly eager. In a lot of ways, Riva is very similar to that. Riva is overly eager and impulsive and so is so is Anakin. They're both really desperate to show their power. And I guess that just is what happens when you are using the dark side, right? You jump to conclusions. You make moves that you wouldn't if you were contemplative. Yeah, just a, a lot of good quotes, you know. <laughs> I think that uh, this was just a really good scene to seed on through. And I I think we'll continue to talk about it throughout the episode. But I think that we like started head first into the fact that Hayden Christensen is back as Anakin Skywalker in a big way that we didn't really even talk about. Like, Caitlin, did you like this episode? Is this your favorite one so far? Oh, yeah, I think so. It was, it was pretty Last good. Last episode, you said that it was going to be, you, it's like your, your track record is these are really good. These, yeah. you know, penultimate episodes. Yeah, it's still true. Still true. I, I think so. I mean, I'm excited to go back and rewatch the whole thing because episode three is still outstanding. Um, But I think this one was so like episode three was great because, of course, we have the first confrontation with Vader and Obi-Wan, but it's still our very timid, scared Obi-Wan. So to see and we they weren't together in this episode, but to see Obi-Wan like a recognizable Obi-Wan again. Like here we're fully back, it feels like, with a Jedi, with a general of the army. You know what I mean? Him taking Mm -hmm. charge, him sacrificing himself. We get some of Obi-Wan the negotiator when he goes to talk to Reva. He comes up with a plan. He understands how to best Anakin in this whole thing. Plus we get the Attack of the Clones uh, flashback. (laughs) What's not to love? And also, I think that the end with Reva and Vader, which we'll talk about 
almost outshines the flashback. Like I'm obsessed with it. It's so good. Uh, I loved it. This is one of, they're very, there are very few times, honestly, with Vader's character that I feel genuinely scared. Honestly, I think just because he's been so saturated in media as a villain, but also like a caricature of a villain too, in a lot of ways. And I hope that doesn't sound bad, but to me, he was so scary in this episode. And honestly, in episode three, he was really scary too. But this episode, mm-hmm. when he, when Riva like goes at him with the lightsaber and he turns around with his hand up, like that he's holding her lightsaber there and you just see the glow of the lightsaber kind of back, uh, light him from beneath. It, I was, so good. it was so scary. And like, that kind of fighting style of not even a light, even needing the lightsaber at first. I thought it was terrifying. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. It's probably it might be the most scared I've been of Vader. I guess I should say that it's probably the most scared I've been of Vader. I think Vader and Rogue One really scares me at the very end. I like always, I always cry a little bit, which is like really weird. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's, I have a, such a weird reaction to the end of Rogue One. I really don't even know how to replace it. I mean, how to place it, honestly. Yeah. Because, but I do think that this this is probably my favorite iteration of Vader I've ever seen, except for I, I like Vader in Return of the Jedi. Again, I keep coming back to Return of the Jedi. But I do think that they did a good job of making him scary, but also continuing to make him sympathetic uh, because we know who he is. And I think that that's where the sympathy comes from, I think, is that sense of we know who he is. I think so, this- of course. I think this episode was a hard sell for sympathetic Vader, so I'm interested to see what yes, they do yes. next week to bring that in because um, maybe we should just start talking about like Reva and Obi-Wan and, and Vader and all of that. But when Reva yeah. asks Obi-Wan, do you do you actually want him dead, Anakin? And I don't know the answer to that question yet um, because there are certain things, right, that we've been talking about this whole series that Obi-Wan says in the future that would make you think, yes, he does want Anakin dead, but does he actually want Anakin dead at this point? I don't know, you know? Uh, but yeah, I think this episode, like if they're going, if the, if they're going to bring back sympathy for Anakin, they have to do something else for that in the next episode. If that's where they're going to leave Obi-Wan and Anakin, because I don't, Yeah, this isn't the episode to leave it on if we're building that's the trajectory we're going, I don't think, mm-hmm. because this was really hard, I think. Especially, oh, yeah. Especially, oh, yeah, yeah. of course, we have the Younglings, Order 66, current events. Like, it's honestly really hard to watch and at times even a little bit uncomfortable, if I'm being honest. And like the way that Riva talks about that event, it just doesn't feel good right now. So mm-hmm. and like seeing Hayden, Anakin, it just it's a lot. Honestly, it's a lot. I said this to you before, but I think that the whole killing younglings thing has become such a meme on like Star Wars interwebs that is interesting. Yeah, pre-Kenobi that they just sort of – it is interesting that they chose that moment or that impetus to be like a character's – motivations and like Mm -hmm. her own memory is what is really driving the main villain of the series, right? Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting choice because we needed to ground that moment in more tragedy, right? Because I think it has become sort of a meme, sort of a joke when it's not. It was the worst thing that Anakin ever did, right? Like it's the thing that 
Obi-Wan was so repulsed by that he verbalized it to Padme and then that's like what really got her on that ship, you know? Yeah. It just really has had become a meme. So in this episode, it was devastating. It was violent. It was a lot. And it was a lot to deal with. Yeah. And then you remember that they apparently had to tone down the show overall. And it's just, wow. You know, like as soon as I saw that warning at the beginning of the episode, if you're in the States, that it has, I was like, oh boy. Um, I, you kind of knew something was going to be coming that probably related back to Order 66. And yeah, it's just, it's it's heavy. It's a lot. And like I said, it, it is almost like too hard to watch. So I'll be interested to see where this path eventually does take us in the next episode as it relates to Vader as a character and how Obi-Wan, if Obi-Wan does still see the good in him now. Of course, now we're getting to the point where it's like we're talking about a season two, maybe. Like, does that exist? Is that even a possibility? Is this going to be tied up in a neat little bow at the end of it? Where will we leave Obi-Wan's character? So I think if they've already planned for that, if they haven't, who's to say? I think if they plan for a second season and they're just playing coy, I think that means we could leave Obi-Wan's character development in a lot of different places. If they haven't, I don't know. I think I would kind of expect things to be tied up a little bit more neatly. But I said at the beginning of this show before Obi-Wan Kenobi came out that I we're just looking at one small chunk of Obi-Wan's life. Like we have yeah. 20, nearly 20 years of this time period. And we already know that the first 10, he more or less is sad and hiding. But this back half, a lot of things can be happening and changing his opinion about Vader, about Luke, about Anakin, Leia, all of it. Like I don't, I, I want there to be room for more stories about Obi-Wan. So I, I don't necessarily need however Obi-Wan ends his relationship with Anakin here to be definitive for what comes down the line, right? Like I don't need the story to have a hard stop on Obi-Wan's character development here because mm -hmm. I want there to be the opportunity for future stories. And I think that's the challenging thing with Star Wars. Like you want to give it a good ending, obviously, but you don't want to back yourself into a corner so into so tight of a corner that another storyteller in the future or, or Deborah Chow in his season two can't come along and continue to pull from that and continue to change Anakin uh, Obi-Wan's character in the future or change his relationship to Anakin or whatever it is yeah I want to go back a little bit to since we're talking about Reva we should talk about the fact that this episode really was like Reva's episode in my opinion. It was there was so much good Reva content in this episode where I was really really surprised by this backstory. I feel like it is such a joy to be surprised by a twist in a story. It is so fun. And Reva's backstory is so interesting that it's not just she's hunting Obi-Wan to get Vader's attention, she's hunting Anakin because she has a, a revenge to uh, to play out because of her past. I feel like we should have seen this coming in a lot of ways, but I was we, genuinely surprised. not at all. <laughs> I did not see this coming at all. And I think that we were kind of onto something about how she was traumatized because no one helped her in the Jedi Temple. That was a potential thing that we threw out there, right? That I don't know. I think that it's so crazy that we both didn't see this coming. And 
it is so fun when that happens. Like, I think we need yeah. to experience that. Like, it is so great. And now we have this character who has this super rich backstory. And it makes this dynamic between Obi-Wan and Reva so much more interesting because they do have a common goal. But Reva calls it out that they don't have a common goal. <laughs> they yeah. actually don't. And yeah, like you were talking about how there's a lot to be said about whether or not Obi-Wan wants Vader dead. And that's something we've been talking about on this show. We've been talking about it for with Obi-Wan for a while about how he doesn't see a path to redemption for Anakin at all when he sends, sends Luke to kill him. Uh, and that's like his hope for the galaxy. It's what he thinks Luke is the chosen one, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like there's a lot to be said there about that camp of storytelling yeah, and how, how we get to that point. But I still don't think Obi-Wan, especially in this time period, I don't think he wanted to do this. He didn't. He said it in Revenge of the Sith. He does not want to kill Anakin. Yeah. Right? So I, I don't know. Like maybe he didn't even want to kill him in A New Hope either. He just doesn't want to be the one to do it. And I understand that from his own past, but it is partially selfish to instill this on a son without thinking that there could be another way or a different outcome. Uh, it's it's a lot to handle as like a Luke fan <laughs> and an Obi-Wan fan, right? Yeah. I I um I don't know. And so I think my the point of this is that I think that Reva makes an amazing point by pointing this all out and how she is bloodthirsty for Anakin to die and Obi-Wan is not at all. He's his sole mission is to protect Anakin's children, right? Yeah. And yeah, it is protect Anakin's children from Vader finding it from Vader finding out about them. But in a bigger way, it's more about from the Empire finding out about them. I I do wonder, like, does Obi-Wan understand the manipulation that is happening? Does he see the Palpatine of it all? Like, I don't know. I find it so interesting also because so many people were complaining about how this was a plot hole, that Reva, how would she possibly know that Anakin is Vader? And it's like, it's literally in the story. Yeah. <laughs> they explained it and it is... So interesting. And I don't know where to put this in this conversation, so I just thought I would bring it up now. Don't you think it's kind of interesting that Anakin or Vader doesn't want anyone to know about his Anakin past? And I wonder what would have happened if the suit didn't happen at all and like the a different world existed for him. Would he completely erase that past too? Or did the suit and the like, sort of imprisonment that happened with that, and I'm using Deborah Chow's words there. I, what do we think about that? Like, it, was that transformation into Darth Vader and like the death of Anakin Skywalker? Like, would he not want to use? I don't know. I, I just don't know. I think it's like realizing by the time he gets to the suit in Revenge of the Sith and learns that Padme is gone, his child is gone. Obi-Wan is gone like all of it it's it's even it's even like that line that Hayden delivers so well uh after Mace and Palpatine battle where he you know goes what have I done it's like that full dawning of realization that there's no going back and that you just like he's on this path now and he has to get rid of every evidence of who he was or else it's like it's all for naught in a way like all of this that he did if if someone like Obi-Wan or Ahsoka are still out there they are carrying these pieces like I don't know there's doubt in his mind maybe that he made the right choice 
in turning to the dark side. And if he didn't make the right choice, then he's done all of these horrible things. Right. It's like digging your heels in, I guess, as a very like light way to to put it. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I it would would it be interesting to know what would have happened. A lot of good fanfic out there about uh, <laughs> Anakin outside the suit. I'm trying to think of what the actual tag used to be on fanfic.net. Suitless Vader. Suitless Vader, yeah. <laughs> Suitless Vader. <laughs> those, those were always good. <laughs> yeah, they were they were always good. They were always good. Yeah. But I think I think then once he could be in the suit and be anonymous for lack of a better word it was it was for himself to get rid of it's the selfish move right Mm -hmm. and that's why he ultimately fails and that's why he fails here with obi-wan because it is all about obi-wan obi-wan knows this reva knows this vader knows this they all verbalize it and (laughs) (laughs) it's personal it's always personal personal with with darth vader with Anakin. And it's so interesting to me because this is why I asked this question, because I think it's an interesting point how Anakin wants to keep the Vader separate, but ultimately he is unable to do that. And it's ultimately what brings him back. And after all this time of trying to separate that coming face to face with the fact that his son is alive and staring at him face to face, that's what brings him back, you know? It just... It's perfect. <laughs> good stuff there. But yeah, I think I think the plot twist of like two great plot twists of this episode were having the memory be Vader's memory, the flashback be really driven by Anakin. And then that Reva's whole mission here is not actually about Obi-Wan, but it's also about Vader. And I think that was I think that was so great because for Reva, these last two episodes have been such standouts for her. Like her whole Moses Ingram's whole uh, performance with Leia in last week's episode was so perfect. And then I think this episode, because, right, we always ask the question with a character like this, like, do we see redemption down the line for them? Quote, unquote, redemption, however you want to define that. And, right, it's always on the table. It's whether or not we see a character walking towards it. And I think that Riva took a fork in the road that could put her on the path towards redemption or turning away from the dark side once it but once we realized that this thing was against vader and it was personal and it was revenge and it was hurt uh from the horrible thing that she experienced with order 66 and her whole conversation with obi-wan i thought her and ewan performed it so perfectly like between the door with the blast door in between them and Obi-Wan kind of realizing like his delivery of that line like how would you know unless you were there like you were the youngling you were there in order 66 and and Reva finally getting to the point where she breaks down and points out right all of the obvious things this is the great thing about Darksiders that we always talk about is that they usually don't lie and like they don't lie at all actually (laughs) um they manipulate of course but whenever they're like telling the truth to characters telling something they don't they don't lie and Riva yeah hear her question about you know is that do, like when Obi-Wan asked her about killing Anakin and she says is that actually what uh, what you want that's pointed for a reason and then when she kind of breaks down at the end of that conversation asking where were you while he was killing my friends he was your padawan why didn't you stop him why didn't you save it save us I don't need your help I don't need anyone And I think that's like so honest and that that is also going to be something that Obi-Wan already carries with him, but now we'll continue 
to carry with him. And I think seeing that vulnerability and that like sadness from Reva, though, it makes you sympathetic towards her character, even though I think we all knew she was involved in Order 66 and there's sympathy there, obviously. But knowing that this whole time has been revenge, I don't know. This this episode, to me, put her in the position to have that storyline be, be an option. It's always an option, but I like can see it more clearly now. Yeah, I really do hope that well, for me, I think that the fact that the path is now a thing, we talked about this in the last episode, so I don't want to be too redundant, but knowing the this fact about Reva's past and how she's not fully like allegiant to Darth Vader or the Inquisitors in general, I hope that she sort of gets in touch with that trauma of what happened to her in the Jedi Temple and the family that she lost there and to help further families with the path. Like Obi-Wan presents that option. And I do hope that someday that's a future option for her. The fact that she lives at the end of this episode gives me hope that she's going to live um, just in general. And I I really, really hope she does. And I, I, I do feel like that would be great just because it's something that was introduced in this series and just seems like it would work as sort of perfectly with her character if that's something that she decided to do and Obi-Wan is open to it right like talking to her about ending it together and everything and of course like that fight that you were talking about is so cool with Darth Vader and his powers and being so scary when Reva and him fight later she creeps up on him and he knows immediately it's her and he who knows how long he has been aware of the fact that Reva was plotting against him. But part of me thinks that it was a long time and he knew that about her from the very beginning and was just sort of using her impulsiveness as a means to an end to finally get as close as he possibly can to Obi-Wan, which is working in this series, right? And then finally at the end, it's like, it's over. You tried to kill me and can't do that anymore. (laughs) But, you know, (laughs) Obi-Wan... Yeah, yeah. Obi-Wan does say, you know, we could end this together. We can do this together. And of course, like when that happens later, if Obi-Wan and her had gone in together or done something and worked together, maybe it would have worked because Obi-Wan is absolutely right. Like all Vader sees is Obi-Wan. It's all he cares about. It's one singular mission. And it's also because that's the only relative basically or family member of his that is alive, right? That he's aware of. It's the only person that is this connection to his past that he that is alive. I don't know. It makes a lot of sense to me that Vader would be so singularly focused because what else is there for him? Nothing. Just these memories. Yeah. Yeah. I think this episode, you already talked about The Last Jedi, but Riva here too is a great Ben Solo parallel with, you know, how Ben approaches uh, Luke in The Last Jedi, how it's this personal thing for him and with Reva it's the same thing even like charging and being bested by their masters um of course we've got like the very dark side and then we have Luke and Ben as as an actual familial bond but um yeah it was very reminiscent of that and even even like Kylo killing Snoke was that kind of shock and it's it's I think it's great seeing the dark siders having this infighting together and how how often they frankly kill each other and showing just how on your own you are when you're on the dark side and in, in something like the inquisitors and uh, 
like a Sith, like Vader and Palpatine and all of that. But I think if I was like speculating about Reva now at this point, right, like we're I think we can pretty safely assume she's on her way to Tatooine. She knows Owen from the beginning of the series. Um, she knows he has a family that he's protecting and she knows that someone there had communications about Owen. I don't know if she recognizes Bale's voice. Maybe she does. But I I kind of wonder if we'll see her have the opportunity to do to Luke what Vader did to her friends. And if she'll, obviously she doesn't take that opportunity, but like what happens? Where, like what are her next steps if she can actually do it? Because we know from Tala that the force that some force sensitive people that she was with were killed, even children. And I think you and I have been talking about like them rounding up these force sensitive people and like testing mm-hmm. on them. And maybe they're doing that with some, maybe not with others, but we know that that group of people uh, that Tala was with that kind of changed everything for her died, that they all died. And Obi-Wan even implores to Reva in this episode, like there are families back there, children that were your age, like you're going to let this happen again. And there is that like hesitation with Reva, I think, of both knowing that there are children back there and like kind of reliving these memories with Obi-Wan. And even, of course, there are all the parallels, like she's remembering Order 66 at the end of the episode uh, with Vader when he when he does impale her with his lightsaber and, and everything like that. And the flashes she gets of Revenge of the Sith, uh, suitless Vader. So I don't know. I think it's an interesting setup for her to be on her way to Tatooine Uh, presumably. And if she, yeah, if she would be put in the same situation to make the same choice as Anakin did, as Vader did, and if she will make a different choice. I didn't even think about that because personally, I was trying to think through what she's going to do with that recording because you can really only hear Owen, Tatooine, and I think the boy or something. Yeah in that crushed recording, which from the moment that was introduced, like Haja, I was, Oh. <laughs> I was like, I, I was like, Bale, seriously? <laughs> no, because I, I'm like, you're not, don't contact him. There's no reason to contact him. It's all good. It's fine. And it, it really was like the Chekhov's gun of it all where I was yeah. like, this is going to come back around. It's not like Obi-Wan returned the call and was like, everything's chill and then deleted the message. No, the fact that he gave it to Haja and then he just dropped it and just walked away. Like, uh. <laughs> it also shocks. I will continue to be shocked that they did not just go straight to Alderaan and like <laughs> drop off Leia. <laughs> Obi Wan was they like, "Just didn't." Yes, a pit stop sounds great in this <laughs> adventure. Nope, nope. Anyway, <laughs> have to continue on the story. Right? <laughs> you just have to. That's one of those ones where you, you just, just got to suspend your go. disbelief and understand that I don't understand the geography of the galaxy. It could be could be far I guess they could be like we needed to fuel up okay (laughs) but that entire concept though Caitlin like I was so stressed about it the literally the moment that was introduced I was like oh no I know yeah the calm I was like oh no this is not good this is not good it's like we've never seen this like object before really in this show it never made it a huge appearance and then all of a sudden it's like like three close-ups yeah, yeah, the camera's zooming in on. I'm like, this is gonna be a thing. And then yeah. lo and behold, it's a thing in the worst way. And then honestly, Obi-Wan having that like panic attack basically in the in the ship, I was like, this is making me so uneasy. I can't handle it. Well, it, it was masterful camera work, in my opinion, because I was it was very clear to me what was happening. 
I almost thought that Vader was like, as soon, I had the same thought of you. It was like, well, as soon as we saw it, I was like, this is bad news bears. And as soon as he's, Bail starts talking about Tatooine and Owen and the boy, I was like, someone, someone else is going to get this. Not good. And I thought it was going to yeah. be Vader. And I was like, because once I realized that it was Crush too, I was like, okay, maybe there's some, like, it's Bail. I don't know. I just thought it would be Vader. So I think it's really interesting that it's Reva who has it. Um, that's where she's going. And Obi-Wan also kind of talked about her like kidnapping Leia and all of this to get to Vader and Anna and like knowing that that's Anakin. Anyway, there are a lot of things at play here. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure Riva's headed to Tatooine. And I loved the like the camera work leading us back to Tatooine, like from Obi-Wan's vantage point, like on the cliffs that we saw like in the trailers and stuff, then to just seeing the silhouette of the homestead. And then little Luke in bed. <laughs> it was, I don't know. It was, I liked the yellow sheets. Right. It's so cute. It's so like cute. his little yellow he jacket. He just looks so sweet new... just laying there. <laughs> I, I was like, wow. I was like, why am I crying? I know. I love Luke so much. I know. I love him so much. <laughs> I think it was just this great reminder of like this series, I think, did such the right thing with making it Leia be who this story was about but it was great to be reminded that Luke is still there and that Luke ultimately is the one who holds the key to loving Vader to bring about Anakin's redemption and I'm sure like everything like Leia has such a complicated relationship when she finds out the truth about her uh, her father with Anakin and Vader and everything like that so anyway I just I think it's great to like see innocent Luke just like laying there knowing that like this whole adventure is waiting for him in the future. I don't know. It was really effective for me. I thought it was a great way to end the episode. Yeah, I totally agree. It's just, I can't wait till next week, but I'm also sad that it's almost over. Don't want to talk about it. Okay. Let's talk more about the episode because we've talked about Reva. We've talked about Obi-Wan. We've talked about Vader, but we haven't really talked about Jabim and seeing Jabim and everything and the expansion of the path and seeing all this and this is like as a new concept you're so right in that last episode about how this is different than the rebellion I'm really glad that you like zeroed in on that for me because I actually had to explain that to my mom today she was like oh yeah that is different so I think it's not just me who was a little confused about the mi miniature organization basically but um, I really liked, okay, we just were just kind of talking crap about how Haja <laughs> dropped the piece, but I genuinely love his character and I actually think he's nailing it in terms of performance. He's great. And I think it's really interesting because he went from like fake helping people to real helping people. It's not that he wasn't not helping people before, but definitely he found a purpose. Yeah, I him and Leia's banter back and forth was was so, so great. Good. I just yeah, he's he's really nailing the performance and it was great to see a character like him who yeah, when we first saw him on on Dayu and and Obi-Wan is chastising him for pretending to be a Jedi and he's like I mean, yeah, but also like I actually help them, so like get off my back kind of thing and like I need to eat yeah. too, right? But now he's mm -hmm. like taking it a step further and has actually come to Jabim and is like helping people to the point where like Obi-Wan is like, you shall be in charge of Leia now. I was like, all right. Okay, cool. <laughs> 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 but like their, their whole back and forth when – um Leia's up in the the wires 
Uh, and so taking hard. forever. Listen, if I had one critique of this show, <laughs> it would be that they needed to hide that cord a little. Like I, I expected her to like kind of crawl around, but she like stayed in the same place and is like moving the same set of cords back and forth. <laughs> and then she finally gets Listen. Lola, and it's like this really big cord that is m- the only cord that looks like that cord. <laughs> It's fine. It's fine. I'm, I forgive it. It's I forgive actually, it I liked the Lola freaking out and she's her being like, like, it's Lola. It's and then she just like clips it. I'm like, did you not notice that on her? <laughs> but she just yeah. like flips it off and suddenly Lola is like, oh, hey, it was cute. And yeah. th- this whole- Lola needed a Snickers. It's she, fine. She did. <laughs> this whole scene, though, overall reminded me of uh, Grogu in The Mandalorian when Din has Grogu trying to fix some wires, too. Mm-hmm. But Grogu really doesn't get it. And he just keeps getting like little shocks and... <laughs> <laughs> and he looks so sad and Din is like it's okay and just like <laughs> patience yeah patience. meanwhile Haja down there is like are you done yet and Leia's like be quiet <laughs> I loved that sass from her it was so great good. it was great and like she did it which was great yeah um it just yeah and you had put in the notes it, it felt very Anakin fixing things and it did yeah. and it was great it always is so much simpler when you're fixing things, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it's good because you've talked about like the memory of Padme a lot and stuff throughout this show. And it seems like everyone is talking about Padme in relation to Leia. And of course she goes on that career path and everything. But I think a lot of us tend to feel that she actually has Anakin's temperament about mm-hmm. a lot of things and her personality overall kind of, she is like the perfect combination of like, Anakin's personality and Padme's ambitions of like success of like political uh mm-hmm. like a political moral compass but she does have that like aggressiveness and and I should say like Anakin's ambition I mean um so even having this like little example of like the tinkering and mechanical is great and I think her her like sarcasm and stuff is very much like Anakin absolutely yeah oh, I love them I love her yeah. she's so great I also I want to talk a little bit about the symbolism of this location. I think that it felt so enclosed. In a way, it was a cave, right? And I think we see caves so much in Star Wars. They present visions. They present the truth often. And I think a lot of truth was told when the cave was broken open, mm-hmm. right? From Vader to uh, to Riva to Obi Wan, all these. In honestly, like even with Tala and all these, all these pieces were coming together in the cave and I don't necessarily think this was like a spiritual experience but I in the other ways that caves are in in Star Wars but it definitely felt like this was a sense of like you're in the belly of the beast like it felt very confining very enclosed yeah I thought so too and like seeing Vader like stalking through those hallways it was scary like I said yeah, it was pretty reminiscent of Luke's own vision when he goes into the cave in Empire Strikes Back. Like, yeah. I think there was a lot of visual cues there that makes you think of that. There wasn't any slow-mo, but it did kind of feel like, oh, yeah, here's Vader entering a cave. I wonder what's going to happen here and what are we going to reveal? Well, even Empire, uh, of Vader going through the hallways in Hoth, too. Yes, that too. Yeah. That too. I mean, that's an enclosed space as well. And how are they going to get out? They jet out to the through the top somehow. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I, there's a there's a note on my notes that I am just really dancing around getting to because I, I honestly don't, don't know if I'm it. gonna. Yeah, I don't know if I can uh, get through it without crying. But 
we have to. So Tala is like one of my new favorite Star Wars characters. I love her so much. And I think they did a really good job with her character of showing her real um, commitment to the cause and how she changed so much from uh, being thrown into the empire and seeing the atrocities and then deciding to risk it all to make everything better. Yeah, I think that <laughs> it's just like really emotional. In a lot of ways, I think Tala is also a huge part of Obi-Wan's character journey, of course, because in a sense, she's like a mirror of what he could be if he chose to follow the path of helping other Force-sensitive people and people out of the too. Empire's hands. Yeah, other people. Yeah, just other people too, because he's not doing that now, really, except for Luke on Tatooine. But even Owen is like, you're really not doing that either. So it's interesting. And I think that Tala just, again, was an amazing character. And I hate the fact that I'm using a past tense because I think that her sacrifice was so meaningful. And I've talked already about how much I love Ned B and the fact that Ned B was shielding her when she died and then they died together. Mm. I just can't. Like, I really can't. It was was so emotional. I think they did a really, really beautiful job of showing it. And I was sobbing. Like, I don't think I'll be able to ever make it through that without sobbing. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I think, I think for me, this was even sadder than K2SO. In yeah, one. And that too. and that's that is so sad. Like I think it I think it's because of Ned B's like quiet compassion. Yeah, and like then like how he doesn't speak, but his actions speak louder than words. And like that's what Tala says in the first episode when we're introduced to him. And like she knows Ned B. Like she knows his heart. <laughs> I can like feel myself tearing <laughs> up. And um <laughs> Yeah, yeah, when he just like stands in front of her and they're just looking at each other and it's yeah, the the slow-mo and it's not really even slow-mo, but like with Obi-Wan in the back, like I don't know. It's one of those moments where you're like, use the force, like ah, like but as soon as they showed Tala, honestly, in the the recap of the episode of her, I forget what she's talking about, but I think about like making it right or something like that. I knew I was like this as soon as you as soon as you're included in the recap it's it's usually not a good sign (laughs) um but yeah it was I mean it just it goes to show how like important her character like you were saying has become in uh, three episodes now and the impact she had and she really was such such a good character like I'm so sad um me too. but me too. I like it was just it makes me really sad because she like you said she did represent so much for Obi-Wan and him seeing how you can make a different choice and I feel like a broken record on this but like her guilt and her frustration over everything that she was a part of unknowingly and how now she's putting everything on the line and to see her do it time and time again throughout this series with Obi-Wan, like from their first introduction where nothing goes to plan to her going back, being the one to offer to go with Obi-Wan to the, to the Inquisitor. And I don't even remember what it's called. Um, Fortress Inquisitorial. Fortress. Like it's something over the top. <laughs> Fortress Inquisitoris. And, uh, Anyway, and, like, everything she does there and, like, seeing her stand up. And I remember, like, 
I think it's going to probably going to become one of my all time favorite lines, like Star Wars moments when Reva is yelling at her when they're leaving there, when they're about to be rescued by, by Wade and Sully, RIP Wade. And <laughs> he was even in the flashback in the recap. <laughs> Cannot forget Wade's and I sacrifice. Hate, I hate that I'm like, Wade got more screen time people being sad about him than Ben Solo, but I'm just, I'm blowing past that anyway. Um, but when Reva's yelling at, at Tala saying, you know, a boy and a child, like, like, was it worth it? Like, is this who, like, that's not who you are or like, you're one of us, something like that. And Tala says back, like, that's never who I am or that's never who I was. And she delivers it so well like it's so good because the whole scene the whole episode was like Tala being that like double agent and then her at the end trying to walk it back again like a triple agent and like it was so masterfully done like she almost had Reva convinced and then at the end she's totally willing to blow her cover and make sure that Reva knows that like this is not who I am it's not who I've ever been and it's so like bold and good and she like she reminds me a lot of Rose in that sense of like her moral compass is like so straight and like she is so certain of every choice that she's making um, and that the ultimate goal of it is to help other people. And yeah, I think that that makes her like such a great character. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm really sad. I also really like her quote that says some things you can't forget. And this is a reference to their previous conversation with Tala and Obi-Wan. She says, but you can fight to make things better. Yeah. And I really like this because what this reference is, is that Obi-Wan can not, he doesn't have to forget his own trauma, his own demons, his own shadow. He can integrate that into his own life and fight to make things better so that that never happens again or whatever. I think that the quote, I feel like that was one of the last conversations, if not the last conversation that Obi-Wan and Tala had. It means a lot. And uh, it was a really good line. I think you're right that she has, she just had a really good performance, I guess, in this entire series where you just believe everything that she says. Like you're hanging on the edge of every word and you're like, yes, you're you're right, Caitlin. That like her moral compass is so strong and so clear. And you just know, even though I will admit that in the, I was like not fully there. I, w- I was wondering if she was going to double double cross, but I was now I'm fully convinced and that's the mark of a good character, you know, is this, yeah. this arc that you go on um, with them through the story of realizing that, no, they're the real deal and they're more of a real deal than like our protagonist even. And our protagonist has so much to learn from her. Well, because for Obi-Wan and Vader and like all of our main players in the Skywalker story so far. It's like, it's all personal on that one-on-one level. And that's part of the good story, right? That's part of why we love Star Wars is that it is a father-son story. It is these two brothers. Like it's right. That Revenge of the Sith quote, it's not about the Jedi, the Sith, the dark, the light side. It's about Anakin and Obi-Wan and the damage they've done to each other. That is tragedy, Shakespearean level. It's good stuff. But a character like Tala, like in this story, right? And I would love to see more of her as like the lead character of her own story. Some like we've got Andor, give me Tala, (laughs) you know, but with like Tala in this story, as she functions in Obi-Wan Kenobi, it's like her, her moral compass is so all encompassing, sorry to say compass twice, but it's for the greater good in general. And I think 
that is Obi-Wan too, but what we're all clued into is his personal relationship with Anakin. But to see Tala that her um, want for goodness is for everyone she encounters, there's just something so hopeful about that, I think. Like those are the people we actually want to see reflected in society, I think, in a lot of ways. We want someone who is like she's treating everyone the same. Like she would do what she did for everyone, not just for, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi and yeah. Leia Organa, who are the most important people in the galaxy right now, you know? Um, she would do it for everyone. And that's like the kind of feeling I get from Rose too. And like part of Rose's function in The Last Jedi was showing Finn how all of these actions are affecting everyone in the galaxy. Like when she talks about the Fathiers and when she shows um, like the planets and like their mining and how it affected her and her sister and, and everyone on Canto Bite, like Rose would do anything for anyone and Tala would too. And I'm not saying that like Obi-Wan wouldn't, but Obi-Wan's story is about Anakin right now. Whereas to see Tala within this story be so focused on the path and as many people as possible. It just, yeah, it's, it feels, it feels different. It feels outstanding even compared to Obi-Wan a little bit. Totally agree. Let's talk about how the Grand Inquisitor is back. He survived. We should have known this. We did know this, but when he came back, okay, I have to be honest. The Grand Inquisitor has some zingers in this show. He nails it with the dialogue, okay? The revenge just wonders for the will to live, don't you think? The way he says that it's too. So good. <laughs> it's so good. And I love a villain with zingers and this works for me. I also think I'm going to be saying that for a while because think about the characters whose revenge is their motivation. I'm specifically thinking about Darth Maul, whose life really was all about revenge the moment Obi-Wan sliced him in half. And he just lived off of that, that feeling of revenge until he could basically rejoin society again. <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> like, <laughs> rejoined society. He's like, he like, I mean, I'm just thinking about him as like a trashy. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know. He rejoined society, got a job. He goes from pays taxes. Split in half, spider legs, then normal-ish robotic legs. To even imagine that spider leg mall is still a thing that like is canon is just, it's absolutely wild. But I'm sorry, go on. <laughs> Yeah, it revenge does wonders for the will to live, okay? Yeah, okay. I, yeah, it's very pointed. You had talked about this yeah. earlier, <laughs> and I wanted to interject again, and I'm sorry, but about Vader and how long he's known about Riva. And I actually don't think he's known about Riva until the Grand Inquisitor comes back. Because Oh, really? I, yeah, and I think this is because he's been so focused on Obi-Wan. And people have been talking about this online, too, of like there, there was this opportunity in – the show to have Vader be sensing Leia and like true go after her and and even like thinking about this kind of Hoth similarity with the the hallways. I was just about to say that because that's always like oh he's going after yeah yeah that's always the question in an Empire Strikes Back. We're being vague. We should be more direct in Empire Strikes Back when he is on Hoth and is walking through the hallway. There's so much fan debate, I guess, about is he sensing Leia and therefore he's like stalking Leia? Who he thinks why does is he Luke. care so much about? 
yeah, who he thinks is Luke. Because why would he be like boots on the ground there when he doesn't need to be? Because Luke is off the planet at that point. So it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I think there was that opportunity to do that. And I think there was a choice to not have him sensing, aware, even reaching out in the force in that way. So I think the I think that pertains to Obi-Wan too, that like he's so obsessed with that that he's not as aware or even paying attention, I guess I should say in that sense. But and maybe he was. I'm sure he was. But also I think and we don't know when the Grand Inquisitor came back too. The Grand Inquisitor could be hiding for a very long time. So he could have been alive and with Vader from like a couple hours after Reva killed him. No, I think you're right though, Caitlin, that Vader really hit, like I, like I said before, like the only living person in Anakin's life who he knows is alive is Obi-Wan Kenobi. And that's all he cares about, right? Like Obi-Wan even says, all he cares about is me. All he sees is me. He mm-hmm. has no patience for a siege. He doesn't even care about the people who are in, within the path, right? Like he yeah. genuinely doesn't. There's no effort to round up those people or anything like that. It, it's all about getting Obi-Wan. And he, I think he, I think Vader even says, I don't have it written down about, you know, it's not about them. We don't need to break them. Yeah. I think is what he it's says. Not, it's not them we need to break. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's all about Obi-Wan. So I think you're actually so right there that there really is this direct there's something direct that they're trying to do about to show that he's blinded by his own anger, by his own revenge, and isn't willing to look out in other places. And I think that was a headcanon, or if it actually was canon for a long time, that if Anakin didn't know that his children were alive or that he had children, and then he wouldn't seek them out. But also he wouldn't even dare to go to Tatooine. We'll see because the the duel of the century might actually be on Tatooine, which will be crazy if so. Uh, I can't even imagine actually. Um, and then that he just, he's just unaware. So the moment he finds out in at the end of um, A New Hope, when he is, he finds out that Skywalker is his last name. I think it's in a comic that you see this. Uh, I think all he does is focus on that. And this is, I think we can even re- reference what we just talked about, right? With Empire Strikes Back, about him stalking inside of Empire Strikes Back, like on Hoth, right? That he is so blinded by this, like this sense of just, I think it is even in the line obsessed with, sorry, I'm like not making any sense. <clears throat> I think it's even in the crawl for Empire Strikes Back of, obsessed with finding Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, I think that's, is that? Yeah, I think that's, I can't remember if that's Empire or Return of the Jedi. You should go back but, and listen to our crawl episode. <laughs> yeah, maybe <laughs> I should go back and listen to it. I, uh, yeah, regardless, he's obsessed with that. And just like he's obsessed with finding Obi-Wan and making Obi-Wan suffer, which, gotta love it, gotta love it. Yeah, and I do. Um, and of course, this also goes back <laughs> to the flashback that Obi-Wan or that Vader is having this whole episode where Obi-Wan is telling him, you're too focused on victory. You're too focused on the win. You're not seeing the bigger picture here. And that's always been Anakin's mistake in a lot of ways. Also, in a lot of ways, that was Luke's mistake, too. Like, he was looking towards the future, 
towards the skyline, towards those twin sons, always chasing the next thing rather than thinking about the present and experiencing his life around him. Yeah. Um, he's always looking towards the future and it's his downfall in Empire Strikes Back when he has the vision of the future and chases it. It's his, it's, he makes a lot of mistakes with this. And of course it's at the end of his life where when he dies, he's staring off into the future, staring off into the sunset. And cause that's, that's who he always is. He's always staring off into the future, but he is also in the present too, which is again, why the last Jedi and his uh, force projection is so great because he's both mm -hmm. present and not. Ugh, it's so good. Um, anyway, I I think that both of those traits are in father and son, right? And one is able to understand that there's good in someone and the other hates himself so much that he doesn't even see a way out because he's in his own prison of his own creation. Bummer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like I get so impassioned when I talk about Luke and Anakin. I feel I could do this for like hours. It's just such a perfect story. George Lucas is like a genius when it comes to this. <laughs> and it's like the, you laugh because it's like the understatement of the century. Like, yeah, we know. We know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, we do. We do. But it was if if you could just pause for a second and think about how bold that ending of Return of the Jedi was and how it has birth so many amazing stories from star wars to kind of recontextualize that moment of redemption and how important that all is and how how we got to that point and how many people's lives that person who is redeemed uh touched and suffered from and why that it just makes all that redemption so much more meaningful so emotional yeah well it's the the story of like humanizing the man behind the mask and like Yes. What does that person actually look like? And then even yeah. with, like thinking about the genius of George Lucas and him choosing to open the Phantom Menace with a nine-year-old Anakin, which by the way, everyone, please, please tell me, but does Disney Plus always immediately recommend you watch the Phantom Menace after Obi-Wan ends? Yeah, it's actually it so interesting. Me. And I'm like, that's cruel. <laughs> but um, starting... The Phantom Menace with this nine-year-old kid and how that's so unexpected. And I think we can actually bring that to this episode, too, of the flashback that we're getting is not – the main flashback that we're not getting is Revenge of the Sith, Anakin. It's Anakin at his – like the – A teenager. A teenager Anakin, yeah, at the, like, the beginning of where him and Obi-Wan start to – are grown-ups like they're becoming brothers at this point because Anakin is old enough too yeah Anakin is old enough for that now and this is like the mo these are like the moments before Anakin really starts down this path or rather Palpatine creates this path that Anakin allows himself to continue to go down and be brought down too and it's like that's a bold choice and and even if we're thinking like bigger picture here like everyone says Attack of the Clones is the worst prequel right and in this flagship series <laughs> flagship <laughs> like let's bring it back to attack of the clones like i'm sorry that's bold <laughs> it's so bold it's a bold bold move i love when lucasfilm takes like bold moves like this right. when they make the main character a child when they make everything cute i i love it when they bring us back to the quote unquote most hated prequel and they, they're like, we're bringing back mullet Obi-Wan. We're bringing back the rat tail. It's, it's happening. It's so good. <laughs> I love it so much. But like, 
these are all important choice. Like the choice is meant to shock you in a way of, oh wow, like yeah, these were these were these people back then, and I don't know. I just also I don't think I've like spoken highly enough about Hayden Christensen's performance as Anakin. So good, Skywalker. So good. It was so good. You and I talked about this with some other people, and I got to be honest. Like the first shot of Anakin, I was like. He looks not 19. Which, Wait, I'm like, oh, he looks 40. Yeah. And that's fine. It looks, like, which it is. Hayden has aged very gracefully. Very gracefully. He is an extremely attractive He's man, also not was, 19. And he he was exactly. like 19 in Attack of the Clones, <laughs> um, both on screen and in real life, right? Um, and no, he wasn't 19. He was a little older, but he was like early 20s, right? Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, he was close to 19 <laughs> when he filmed Attack of the Clones. And I think... I think it was a good choice. Like, I think the Attack of the Clones choice was true. But, yeah, it did kind of shock me a little bit of, like, oh, he's not 19 years old again. But I also think it, like, as I settled into it, you just, you know, this is the thing. You just, like, you accept it. And I think this is a great addition to our larger conversation of, like, actors reprising roles versus being recasted, what that means, what it when technology comes into play, when it's good to do that, when it's not good to do that. Um, I think this is an interesting addition. And I think there's like always the talk about like in Book of Boba Fett with Luke Skywalker and whether or not that was the right choice. And I think it's, I think it's good to see Lucasfilm doing different things in different series, dependent on the certain creator's vision, what the actors want to do, what they think serves Mm -hmm. the story, what they think is pushing technology in a certain direction for better or for worse, whatever you think about that. But like, I don't know. I think it's cool to see them trying different things and that it's not all one set way that this is how Lucasfilm is handling actors playing the same character or being recap. What you know what I mean? Anyway, I think it's good. But I think that his voice and the way that he delivered the lines perfect was so perfect. And I think I'm like, it's 2002. <laughs> right. And it what was <laughs> yeah. so great is that I think that even the writing mimicked the prequels writing like it didn't Uh this didn't feel different to me like I think when you watch the Anakin and Obi-Wan in the Clone Wars the the cadence of the writing is different and they did that on purpose right and like that whole series is supposed to be showing even more of their banter and back and forth and stuff like that and it's a much more expansive look at their relationship but the prequels have a very like definitive way tone of the script and everything like that. And people love to laugh about that, but I think it was great how they kind of kept that rhythm. I think in this flashback, it felt like something that we could have actually seen in attack of the clones. And I love that they didn't try to like make it sound like something that was made written by someone else in 2022. Um, or even like as quippy and fast paced as like the force awakens or like that humor in it. Like it very much like it. Yeah. Like I said, I I could have put that scene in attack of the clones and I think it would have fell right in line. Totally. The Jedi temple might've looked a little better in this (laughs) scene, but other than that, (laughs) I I also want to say that I think I just want to be clear. I think Hayden was de-aged slightly. Not, Maybe not in that first scene, but I think with the lighting effects, with the lightsaber, you can sort of tell that there's a sense of smoothing on his face. I don't think it's as obvious or as like, 
It's not obvious, basically, is what I'm saying. I think it's so minute. It's not heavy-handed. Probably the people who worked on this like don't agree that it's minute, that they probably spent a lot of time on it, and kudos to you. But I, I find it to be um, less uh, Uncanny Valley than Luke Skywalker, because it's not, right? He's a real person. It's a real performance. I don't know. Like Even saying that is, is weird because... Um, I think his name is Grant, uh, who gave the performance for Luke. Graham. Yes. Thank you. Graham. I I don't have the name in front of me. Um, Gave a great performance, I think, for Luke. He looks just like Mark Hamill when he was younger. Oh, my gosh. But I I do think there's like slight de-aging on Hayden. And it it wasn't super – it was the first shot was like jarring. I think it was just the very noticeable like forehead wrinkle, which is totally normal. Yeah. It was like a no makeup makeup look. Absolutely. That's exactly what it was. I just want to be clear because I don't think it was super clear when you were talking that you knew that there was actually de-aging, but there there is de-aging. It's just not super intense or like (laughs) blurry like Photoshop basically. Yeah. 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 Exactly. But anyway, I think yeah, I think his delivery of everything sounded so perfect. But I also think this like this scene added a lot. Like I think having it had like good amounts of pause on Anakin's face like there were really good moments where you could tell he was thinking about what was transpiring in the scene and anyway I thought I thought Hayden did such a great job and I'm really glad that they didn't pick the the quote-unquote least liked prequel and (laughs) try to make it this whole different feel and tone from that time period because they could have and I'm really glad that they didn't it's also in the real world like this was Hayden Christensen's first Star Wars movie was Attack of the Clones so yeah. if you want to start about like going back to the beginning like of course we're not going to see like child Anakin I mean maybe we, I don't know I don't I don't think that's going to happen but the we're, go, we're going back to the very beginning of Hayden Christensen in Star Wars and this is where we're going to start like basically yeah. right before Attack of the Clones starts I guess is where we're placing this timeline at least that's where I'm placing the timeline I I love it great choice great moves I think also there was a lot of smiles in this too, which just felt so felt so attack the clones to me, like especially in the very beginning of it all. So it was great. Yeah, it was really good. It was really good. Anything else we need to talk about about this episode that was so amazing? That's I'm gonna rewatch for the rest of my life, like every week. <laughs> uh, I I don't think so. I think we've gone over a lot. I um yeah, freaking loved this episode and. I'm still very much here for Ghost Tornado next week. I'm okay. still going to keep that in uh, my back pocket, my back speculation well, let's, pocket. Let's refine it a little bit, okay? All right. All right. Ghost Tornado needs – we need to move <laughs> away from the funny name, okay? Okay. Because what it is is just like using the force in a new way, right? Exactly. Like how can we expand the force – how are they going to do it? Because I think there's actually a couple lines in this episode specifically about like there are alternatives to fighting. There are like I think that's actually an older Obi-Wan line that I just said, not the one that I'm thinking about, but something very similar to that it was said in this episode of No, he the did. There are more than one way to fight. Saber. Yeah, okay. So he, he that's his like favorite saying. <laughs> um, He's like a yeah, broken so, record. Like, yeah, we, we love to see it. But I think that with uh that concept of there are more than one ways 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 to fight. I I think that uh, maybe what will happen in 
the finale, like if I could speculate is some like weird force stuff. And I think that what you were talking about, about in terms of the ghost tornado or like bringing back things from the past, like I do think that weird force stuff will happen. And I wonder what that's going to be like. Like, do you think that this battle is actually going to be on Tatooine? No, I don't. I think that, um, because right, they leave us at a pretty good cliffhanger, no hyperdrive and they're right behind them. And uh-huh. Vader doesn't want to let Obi-Wan get away. I don't. And I think Obi-Wan knows that someone. I don't think Obi-Wan's going to go back to Tatooine until he figures out. Because, like, he, that's his whole thing. Like, something's gone wrong is what he says, I think. And that's when Reba is, like, picking up the calm and she hears about Tatooine. So I think he knows that it's connected to Tatooine. I think that's the vibe he's getting in the Force. Whether or not he knows it's Reba or Vader, I don't know. But I think him even doing that like long, meaningful look at Leia is like, oh, crap. Um, I have one. There's the other. I got to gotta figure this out. So I think – I don't know. I don't think the showdown's going to happen on Tatooine. I'd be really surprised if it did. I think – I do think perhaps Obi-Wan and Reva will – something will happen between them on Tatooine because, I don't know, I'm still kind of thinking of my earlier theory of Reva having the opportunity to do to Luke – what Vader did and in order 66 and Obi-Wan's going to stakes like aren't that high with that because we know that ultimately Luke doesn't die and neither does Owen and Beru so I I think there's something else there I I, I could be wrong there could be I mean I guess if Vader thinks that he kills Obi-Wan on Tatooine then there's no reason to go back there and maybe maybe they do go there and like because of the emotions of that place that's how Obi-Wan is able to get the upper hand on Vader right. because he's able to yes. use what's hap- like use what he knows has happened there. Um, this was my angsty theory that I actually had earlier this week that is not Ghost Tornado related. So it's like a little bit more serious. Um, but in our conversation of thinking about like you and I talked about this last week about how we think that perhaps this show could give us a complete paradigm shift of how we view all basically all of Obi-Wan's conversations with Luke in the future. And, um, it had me thinking about like what their last showdown would look like if there would be visions, weird force stuff of like Hayden Christensen as Anakin, Qui-Gon, Padme, like anyone and everyone, Yoda even. Um, we did have that Yoda's voice has been in this show so far, so it could happen too. But, and, and this, my theory kind of goes along with Reva's question to Obi-Wan of, do you actually want Anakin dead? So if they're like battling and everything and Obi-Wan once again gets the higher ground, he gets the moment to strike Anakin down to kill him. And Vader even says, do it, kill me. Like basically like put me out of my misery. And Obi-Wan still can't do it. He still can't pull the trigger. He can't do it because maybe by this point, Obi-Wan's like believes that there actually is good in Anakin still and maybe he believes that through Leia and through Luke or maybe something else that he's seen maybe it's through seeing Reva make a different choice earlier in the episode and if Reva can do it so can Anakin but I think perhaps that Obi-Wan maybe feels that like to kill Vader now is to damn Anakin and to mean that there really is no hope and that Vader truly is lost Anakin is truly lost and maybe Obi-Wan still can't even bring himself to do that despite what he's seen and despite what he knows has happened and so he doesn't do it. Um, and maybe that's like where we leave things at the end of the series. And and maybe think like in a very convoluted way if like 
Obi-Wan realizes that eventually Luke and Leia are going to be the ones who can bring out that that side of Anakin again. That like he can't do it. And he like he can't do it. We know that Ahsoka can't do it. The point is that Luke is the only one who can do it. So maybe Obi-Wan knows that eventually he has to get them together in a way. Like this isn't fully fleshed out. And I don't even know if it makes sense, but like if from like a certain point of view, Obi-Wan telling Luke to keep going to Vader to kill him to whatever is so he's eventually with him almost in the same way that Reva is using Obi-Wan to get to Vader like in this kind of backwards way I don't know and so Obi-Wan would say in A New Hope like from a certain point of view I really did want Luke to go to Vader because I knew that his it's his father and that he could eventually bring out the light side in him I don't know. Like, <laughs> I know that's not that part isn't fully baked, <laughs> but I do think I do. There's think, something there, though. There's, some, there's something there. There's something there. And I do think it's very possible, though. And I, I think to your point, you're right about it could be on Tatooine, and this could actually make a lot of sense for it to be on Tatooine and for Obi Wan or Anakin to just be assaulted with these memories. Like, maybe we're totally wrong, and like it's going to be Anakin who's having these hallucinations again. And these visions I mean, and dreams. Um, it's literally canon. Like he always has these. Exactly. In, in, the, in the comics. Like he is so haunted. And he goes to Tatooine and he's haunted by his mother, by Padme. Um, oh, man. By all of it happening. And it's like, it is like the tornado in Mortis where like you can remember Anakin. He's like hands on his head and he's like, stop it, stop it, stop it. And mm-hmm. um, all these things are going around him. It could be something similar to that too. And that's when Obi-Wan gets gets um the upper hand on him and vader is like yes do it like because he, that's what he tells obi-wan before he should have killed me and mm-hmm. that's like the little bit of that sympathy for anakin i think in that episode and so i think again if we didn't give him any sympathy in this episode so if they are going to go that route i think that would be the way to do it and i think you're right perhaps doing it on tatooine where his story started could be the place to do it. I think we're about to get rocked, to be honest, from a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's going to be really good. I'm so excited. I can't wait for the end, but I also am very sad to see it, to wave it goodbye, hopefully season two. But um, I also want to put in a little note that one thing we talk about on the show a lot is how Obi-Wan thinks Luke or expresses to Maul that Luke is the chosen one. And I wonder if that's perhaps how he is able to deter Reva away from killing them or like exposing who they are, except Luke's last name is Skywalker. So it's interesting. You know, I, uh, I, I wonder if like that's the conversation and that's his cover for these force sensitive people who approach whatever, I don't know, who enter Obi-Wan's own domain. Um, like he told Maul, that that's what he could tell Reva as well to kind of get to maybe make sure that that's not out in the ether. But if, if it is, that is like, I guess she would be a really great character to continue to follow. Like who says that we can't have another person who knows about Luke and Leia or just Luke specifically, who is aligned with the ideals of the rebellion and the path and things like that. Like there's no rule that says we don't have, we can't have that. Um, as long as they're trustworthy, right? And um, I wonder how that's all going to shake out. Can't wait to see. It's gonna be. It's gonna be a moment. It's gonna be a time. <laughs> I also one more thing. Sorry, I th- wanted to say that this episode felt like two and a half hours long. 
jam packed. I I think that uh, not in like a bad way, in a really good way that I felt super fulfilled. And I remember last week talking about how there wasn't enough time. And I think a lot of things happened in this past episode that I'm pretty confident that a lot of things are going to happen in the next episode too. Yeah. Yeah. Many, many episodes. Uh, right. Many, many things are going to happen. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Well, is there anything else you want to bring up? Any last minute speculations before we go into the finale? No last minute speculations. Just thank you, Hayden Christensen. We're so happy you're back. <laughs> so, so He's not happy. listening. We don't know that. He's talked to us. He knows us. <laughs> so true. So true. <laughs> you, we don't know that. We don't know that. We said our names. He said our names. <laughs> so true. I totally steamrolled and talked over him when he was like hello charlotte i'm like anyway <laughs> here's my question before he burst into tears <laughs> we even put in the notes pause after like we had it written out of hi i'm charlotte from sky talkers pause <laughs> here's nope. my question just kept going. But steam it was, roll it was good he, he loved it he loved it and he said i had a really good question too <laughs> Yeah, he said that to you. That was that was gorgeous. That was, that was a moment. <laughs> that was chef's game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, but I do genuinely think it's just been an incredible performance from everyone. And yeah, this this episode will be hard to top <laughs> for me. Oh, that's what I'm going to ask you. What's been your favorite episode so far? Do you have a pick? Um, I'm not sure. I honestly probably this one. I think this yeah. one is perfect. But honestly, maybe the first one. I'm not sure. I really yeah. don't know. Yeah. Ask me next time. <laughs> okay. Will do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, if you want to talk to us more about Obi-Wan Kenobi or anything Star Wars related, you can find us on Twitter at SkytalkersPod um, or our personal handles. Mine is at Caitlin Plusher and Charlotte's is at Crarity. We also have our TikTok where we've been posting a lot of celebration videos and stuff like that and even some like special snippets from our interviews. So if you haven't checked out our TikTok yet, you absolutely should. Some good stuff on there. And um, we also have our Instagram and our website, skytalkers.com. These are all places you can find us and Facebook too. So really any social media platform you want, you'll be able to find us there. And if you haven't left us a review yet on iTunes or Spotify, we would really appreciate it if you took a moment to go and do that. We've gotten a few iTunes reviews in the past couple of weeks and it has truly made our days. It's always so fun to get a new review and it really... I don't know. It really means a lot to us that you do them and we like save them and read them and send them back and forth to each other a lot. So um, thank you so much if you have left us a review recently and or ever. It really does mean a lot to us. And if you're interested in other ways to support the show and how to get in on our wonderful Discord community that literally goes off the rails every Wednesday um, in a good way, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our different rewards tears there and it'll tell you all about how to get involved in our sky talkers discord community i want to say a huge thank you to these patrons emma kara ali matthew olivia justin benjamin molly jose nina alexa jordan jedediah brad natalie danian anna madison and trevor thank you so much for supporting us yes thank you guys so much and until next time may the force be with you may the force be with you Thank you.